Welcome to Boys of Summer. I'm your host, Paul Arnold. I'm joined by two guys who know their baseball, or at least they talk like they do. We have Gene Gums out in Connecticut and Eric Braun out in Houston, Texas. And we are going to talk today about the best starting lineup of the 1990s in Major League Baseball. And I'll just tell everybody right up the front that I love baseball. And during the 90s, I was between the ages of 28 and 38, a young dad working hard, but I always made time to follow baseball. So, Eric Braun, I know you're the youngest of the three of us. How old were you during the 90s? During the 90s? Yeah. Let's see, I, I would have started the 90s as a 22-year-old and uh, obviously a 32-year-old at the end. There you go. And then Gene Gums, uh, I'm guessing you may be older than me, but I'm not certain. How yeah, old- a, couple of year, a couple of years. I, I uh, 1990, I was 30. So I that was, was my 30 to 40 years, or 30 to 39 years. Just a little upfront honesty here. I'm a t- Detroit Tigers fan. Eric is a huge Royals fan, and Gene is a huge Red Sox fans. And that may uh, taint our view a little bit, but we have sworn to be as objective as we can. At least we swear about it. All right, so we're going to start with the pitcher, of course, number one in your scoring lineup. And just to also tell you, Gene Gums was an official scorer for many games and saw a lot of these players as well. And because I'm the host, I'm just going to pull rank, and I'm going to tell you, everybody, my number one starting pitcher in the 1990s. I considered greatly Roger Clemens, but that was not my pick. Roger Clemens had won 354 games over his career. He had a 3.12 ERA. He had over 4,000 strikeouts. But my starting pitcher for the 1990s is Mr. Nasty, Randy Johnson. 3.28 ERA. He had over 4,800 strikeouts. And who could forget the All-Star game when he threw against John Cruck and Cruck couldn't stay (laughs) in the batter's box. And who could forget also when he hit that dove or pigeon in Toronto and exploded and is still on YouTube. So that's my pick for pitcher. We'll go to Gene Gums. Who's your pitcher for the 1990s? Well, I did it based – I actually broke it down by number of wins and ERA and all that stuff for the for the decade. So I went based just on decade stats. I didn't go mm. – um, so the, the guy that the number one in wins and in ERA, as far as the starting pitcher goes in the 1990s was Greg Maddox. Uh, so he's, he's my choice. He won 176 games in the nineties, which was uh, 12 more than anybody. It was 26 more than Randy Johnson won as a matter of fact. And he had an ERA of just 2.54 for Crazy. the entire, de- for the entire decade. The professor. So, yeah. So, uh, uh, and matter of fact, if you look at that Atlanta Braves rotation, uh, in the 1990s, it's absolutely ridiculous. Glavin, Maddox, and Smoltz are in the t- they're, they're three of the top six in wins in the entire 1990s. But uh, I picked I picked Greg Maddox just simply because of his wins. Now, being a Red Sox fan, of course, I lean towards guys like Pedro and Clemens. Uh, and, and actually, Pedro's ERA was kind of challenged Maddox a little bit, but Pedro was a couple of years short. He didn't start his, uh, his career until 1992. So uh, just based on, on Maddox's numbers, I went with him. I totally agree. I had down my top four as Randy Johnson, Roger Clemens, Greg Maddox, and Pedro. So we're all in the same boat there. But Eric, where did you land on this one? Well, and so I actually lived in uh, Georgia during the 90s. So uh, I'm okay. a little 
probably a little biased towards uh, uh, towards them. But uh, to me, it was easy, easy pick in there. Greg Maddox, uh, four Cy Youngs in the 90s. I mean, the guy was unbelievable. And yeah, with that rotation, um, it was a lot of fun to watch. Mm. Well, you could argue that National League did not have a designated hitter at that point. Um, and so Randy Johnson pitching for Seattle, was that a little more impressive? And I also went for intimidation factor. Like if you had one game to win and the Braves had great regular seasons, but they didn't win that many world series, even with that great starting lineup, you know, so that yeah, it's, was, it's, it's just crazy how much they struggled in, in postseason. I never have been able to figure that out, especially, you know, you expect pitching to win championships right and they i just I st- it still just boggles my mind i just don't know how they didn't win more in postseason yeah uh, but you know i don't think um even against with dh with uh with maddox i mean uh, i think the way his style of pitching you know he wasn't blowing anybody away with speed he was all about control um and location i just i, I just don't think anybody was going to come up there and touch him he just made people look really dumb at the plate well and i'll tell you you know you you talked about the difference between american league and national league uh the american league had the designated hitter but randy johnson despite that had more strikeouts by far than anybody else in the decade randy johnson struck out almost 2600 guys (laughs) in the 1990s alone the next closest was roger clemens at 2100 other than that nobody else got near 2,000 strikeouts for the decade. The only other guy that came close to the to 2,000 was David Cohn. Uh, but other than that, nobody else came close to what Randy Johnson and So you're and, coming and over Clemens to my did. side, right? Is that what you're yeah. telling me? Well, no, I'm just <laughs> saying that I, I think Maddox, I if I had a game to win, I think if I had to pick between Maddox and Randy Johnson, I think I'd still pick Greg Maddox just because I love the way he was. He was a master, just the way Randy Johnson overpowered people. Yes. Greg Maddox out outthought people. And being the cerebral guy that I am, that is, <laughs> <laughs> that's why. You. Right. That 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 appeals to me. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I had Maddox and then uh, Randy Johnson, Roger Clemens and Pedro. I mean, it was a there was a lot of great pitching in the decade. Right. When my son and I would watch baseball together, often I would point out somebody that I thought were was maximizing their talent. Like I said, son, you know, you don't have to be the most talented, but you just have to be smart and competitive and you, you can succeed in Little League Baseball or high school baseball or whatever. And I totally get it. Greg Maddox was per- that perfect example that we watched him and thought, I could, you know, he's about the same shape I'm in. I mean, he's he doesn't look <laughs> muscular. He's wearing glasses, you know. He's the every guy pitcher who pitched awesome. All right, so that's our pitcher discussion. Uh, this next one is the catcher, and I'm going to go Gene Gums. Gene, why don't you start, and who did you pick as your starting catcher? Well, there were really only two guys that I considered, to be honest with you, and, and it was between Pudge Rodriguez and Mike Piazza. Um, and I went with, with Pudge Rodriguez simply because of uh, his defensive ability. And he wasn't a slouch at the plate either. Mike Piazza, obviously a better offensive player, but I, uh, I was always a big fan of Pudge Rodriguez behind the plate and, and he still was a decent hitter. He still hit 300, uh, during the, uh, during the decade. So I've got to go with Pudge Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. Eric. Yeah, I went with Piazza, but it was same, same here. Those are really the only two guys. Biggio played some some catcher too but uh it was um he's yeah, i consider him more of a second baseman but right uh but yeah i went 
uh, I went with Piazza just uh, because he was so uh, strong, you know, at, at the plate and um, was just a leader on that team in the clubhouse. Not that Pudge wasn't. I love Pudge. I mean, I was um, uh, in Detroit when he was there, and I just love that guy. But yeah, Piazza. Piazza was my pick. Piazza hitting so many home runs, playing in a big market, hitting for average. All those things were great. Yet, did he ever have a nickname? To me, a great baseball player has to have a nickname. And so, Pudge Rodriguez, known as Ivan to his best friends, um, <laughs> he hit 297 for his career, 311 home runs, which wasn't as much as much Mike Piazza. But for that span of years, he was the best defensive uh, catcher ever at that point of all the catchers and could throw people out at second. Uh, he was the MVP of the whole league. Um, and I always feel like that old adage, you have to be strong up the middle in baseball, is so true. And I think he made the pitchers uh, so much better. And then I am a little sentimental toward Pudge because he was the first free agent that was willing to come to Detroit after Detroit had a <laughs> bunch of bad years. And uh, he made a big difference here. So. He did. He did. Yeah. I, I'll vote for Pudge. I mean, th- he has a little bit of question mark in him that some people yeah. s- wonder if he took some roids or some enhancements for a while. He's denied it. He's made it in the Hall of Fame. Um, and he looks like he, us now, guys. He's lost most he's, of his hair. He was the, oh, that's good. And he also <laughs> lost lost a lot of the muscle that one year. He came back and everybody's like, what yeah. happened to Pudge? What, yeah. How about you stopped? He stopped taking injections. That's what happened <laughs> yeah. to Pudge. But, but, you know, and I'll tell you, you know, you look at, at, at Piazza and again, this, this is to kind of, to, uh, you know, kind of back up the people that are, that are in favor of Piazza. He only played from 1992 to 1999. He wasn't even active the first two years in that decade. Yeah. And he still hit 240 home runs in the, in that time, which was a hundred more than anybody else. But how easy is it to hit it at Mets Stadium, Gene, to hit a home run? Me? It'd be really hard. No, for, for, for <laughs> oh, any <him>. player. <laughs> I forget the uh, dimensions of that place. Well, uh, you know, the old, the old Shea Stadium wasn't, wasn't that bad. It was, it was fairly easy to hit it out of. But don't forget, he started his career in Los Angeles. That's true. So he, he started hitting in Dodger Stadium, which is not an easy place to hit. Then he went to Florida before he went to New York. So he actually played for three teams in for between 1992 and 99. So those 240 home runs are even more impressive when you think that the first three or four years of that were spent in, in, uh, in Los Angeles. Right. And he was dogged by different types of rumors that he really pushed hard against about his uh, sexuality. And I remember he went after a reporter, I think, over that. Um, but uh, he's he was a great player. I think he's in the Hall of Fame too, isn't he? He is. Yeah, and, and he's another guy that there was always whispers about whether he was uh, on the juice or not. Yeah, yep. All right, we've gone pitcher, catcher, and we haven't all agreed yet, so here we go. First base, uh, we'll start with Eric. Who's your first baseman? Well, you know, I thought this was like the hardest of, of all of them uh, for me because there were just so many um, – uh, you know, amazing first baseman in, uh, uh, in the nineties. Um, uh, I mean, you had Bagwell and, and Mark Grace. Um, but I ended up picking Frank Thomas just because he was, uh, uh, I just, he was so athletic for such a big guy at first base. You know, he would play, 
um, really good defense for for a big guy, and then just come up and mash it. You know, and I hate the White Sox with a fiery odd passion. <laughs> but uh, why do you but, hate the White Sox? Uh, well, I mean, AL Royals, Central. I guess. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. There was a a time when uh, you may remember this. A couple of uh, drunken idiots on the first baseline jumped out of the stands and beat up our first base coach. Mm. Uh, so since then, it's been kind of a sore point. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, so yeah, so Frank, uh, Frank was my my pick there. All right, I'll go next. I agree with you. Frank Thomas hit over 521 home runs. I considered for a hot moment Mark McGuire, and then I considered his legacy. And plus, Matt McGuire just didn't hit for average. Uh, I think he's a decent enough guy who got caught up in something else. But Frank Thomas being consistent, uh, hitting the home runs, uh, and with not a lot of help around him. I think Ventura was there for a while to help some. But I picked Frank Thomas. How about you, Gene? Well, I, uh, I, I was tossed around this one for a while. And I was tempted to go with the Connecticut guy, uh, Jeff Bagwell. Uh, who was actually from literally about 10 miles down the road from where oh, I live right yeah. now. And he, and he played at Xavier High School. I currently uh, broadcast games for Xavier High School, so he, is, he played about a mile from where my house is. Um, so I considered him, but I went with Frank Thomas. I, think it's, uh, I don't think it's, you know, it's really that close. Frank Thomas, in the, in the entire decade, hit 320. He yeah. And you know, his slugging percentage was 573 for the decade. <laughs> I mean, he... I mean, he slugged I mean, His OPS was 1013. It was absolutely insane. Now, Bagwell was close. I mean, Bagwell hit over 300. He slugged nine. Uh, I mean, his OPS was 960. And, and he was he played one less year than Frank Thomas because Bagwell didn't make his uh, his debut until 1991. But uh, no, I, I have to I have to agree. We're going to be unanimous on this one. Frank Thomas was was a freak. He was a freak. He was. I, he was. He still is. Have you seen that? Have you ever? Have you ever stood next to Frank Thomas? I have not. Have you? He. He. Oh yeah. He. He can, He's one of the few guys on the planet that can look at me and call me tiny. He is <laughs> huge. I How mean, do you think he does in the studio? He's a studio announcer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's he's pretty good. You know, he's pretty good. He's actually got a really good sense of humor. And uh, he has hands the size of Texas, by the way. <laughs> I, sh- I shook his hand and Not my hand. Not Connecticut, but Texas. Yeah, Texas. I shook his hand and my hand disappeared. Ooh. And I don't have little hands. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Well, Gene, you get our Most Valuable Player Award or Co-Host Award. I'm glad you broke it down by the decade, all those stats. Way to go, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, that's impressive. Uh, excellent. The check's Jeez. not in the mail. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we all agreed on Frank Thomas. I don't know if we'll agree on second base, and so um, I'll start with that one. I debated back and forth on this one quite a bit, and I almost went to Craig Biggio, but I went to Roberto Alomar. The reason I did is, being a Tiger fan, I saw Alomar play a lot with the Indians. Um, he hit for average 300. He was a 10-time gold glover, and he would kill us with turning double plays when I was rooting for the Tigers. Uh, he was consistent. He was a good hitter. Um, and he just could cover a bigger range, I think, than Biggio. I mean, Biggio used to be a catcher, then second base. And, I mean, Biggio's a decent player, but I'm going to go Roberto Alomar. All right, Gene, what do you think? Um, I went Craig Biggio. Uh, <laughs> I, I, had, I, had, I had Alomar second. But if you look just at what they did, and, and I'm just going based on numbers in the 90s, if you look at what they did, 
Alomar scored, I mean, uh, Vigio scored more runs, uh, over 100 more. He had uh, almost about 75 more hits in the decade. He had more doubles. He had more home runs. He walked more. Uh, his batting average was, you know, 297 to the 308 for Alomar. Uh, but, uh, you know, other than that, I just felt that if, if you looked at the numbers, it was close. But I went with Biggio. And also, I have a personal thing. I have an issue with Roberto Alomar after the whole spitting incident. Oh. So, I th- so, I, so I think I, I kind of maybe lean towards Craig <laughs> Biggio uh, on the character side. Okay. Well, it is baseball. That's what's fun about baseball. These things matter how you... Re- see them and how you saw them on tv and and in person eric yeah you know i'm the houston guy so uh houston slash kansas city guy so i i definitely went with biggio um you know uh you know four or five time all-star in the decade nope six time all-star in the decade uh, several golden gloves i mean the guy you know even if he didn't have much range he you know covered it well um he's uh, uh and just a just a super important part of the killer bees here in in houston so but he always looked like his uniform was too big for him he always looked baggy <laughs> like he was a kid him and bagwell they both yeah those 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 old pinstripe jerseys yeah yeah well and i'll tell you i'll tell you a guy that we didn't talk about but if you had to throw a third guy in there another guy that i gave some some consideration to was chuck knoblock Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, Yankees. that's another guy. People forget about him. Well, he started his career. I remember him with starting with the Minnesota Twins. Yeah. But this is a, he was a 300 hitter. This guy hit 300 for the entire decade. So this was this guy was no slouch. And, uh, you know, he didn't have a lot of power, but he was a, a very good defensive second baseman and he got on base a lot. So that's another guy that I considered. And in Detroit, we like our sweet Lou Whitaker, but he didn't hit for average. He was a solid defensive. Right. But he wasn't, you know, he had to be. This is, we're talking for the best of the best here, folks. All right, we're going to go to third base, uh, the hot corner, and uh, I think I'm to Gene on this one, right? To start. Yeah, yeah. This one, um, this one was kind of easy, um, but you know, I, I, I would toss and turn with this one because I'm a big Scott Rowland fan. Um, I loved Scott Rowland. I thought he was one of the best defensive third basemen I ever saw. He had a hell of a decade, um, but I went. With Chipper Jones. Oh. Okay. And I also thought considered Gary Sheffield, but I went with Chipper Jones. If you look um, at the numbers that he put up uh, in the decade, it is very, very impressive. So uh, that's where I went. I mean, this is a, he had over 300 for the decade. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I mean, this is a guy that was solid. And, 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 and by the way, he didn't play the first three years of the decade, and he still put up really, really impressive numbers. This is true. Eric, since you lived in Georgia, are you also going to go with Chipper Jones on this one? I I did in fact go with Chipper Jones. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, again, he was such. I remember his rookie year. I mean, people were just so excited to get him um, on the field. It was like, you know, he's one of those guys people were whispered about when you know when Chipper comes up, that's going <laughs> right. to turn things around. Um, yeah. And and it did. I mean, the guy was, um, you know, he kind of came in. What was it ninety three? I think was his first yep. year. Yep. Yep. Yeah. He came in, and uh, you know, it was a couple years after things had turned around, and that he was going to be the next, the the last piece of the puzzle to to get the um, uh, uh, to get the Braves really turned around and, and going um, to the to get a World Series championship, which eventually they did, but it took a while. Yes. You know, and when you look at it too, is he only played five years? Really? I mean, he came up in yeah. ninety three. He didn't play in ninety four because he was right. hurt. 
But, I mean, the numbers that he put up between 1995 and 1999 were absolutely ridiculous, including, I think it was, was it 99? I think he hit like 45 home runs or something. He was absolutely incredible. And he drove in 100 runs uh, four straight years. Jeez. And my choice depends on a ruling. I need a ruling from you two guys because I lived in Atlanta for a while and then I went to school and I would come back and visit my in-laws and we would see Chipper Jones play. And you're right, Eric, when he came up, people expected the best. Um, and everybody just thought, here's a good old Southern boy who's going to help our team. And there's just a buzz all around him. And he was a decent, very good fielder whenever I saw him. But the ruling I need to ask is, what position did Wade Boggs play? He played third base. Yeah, he's third base. He was my second choice, actually. Yeah, Wade Boggs was my third choice. So he was going to be my first choice because of Chipper Jones only playing five years. But, and then the other thing to consider is Wade Boggs, great hitter, we all know that. Um, but was he a liability on third? And when you think about third over the years, you think of a, a, you know, great defensive players need to play third to shut down that corner. And if I had to pick Wade Boggs or Chipper Jones for uh, one game to win the game, I think defense is really important to me. Mm-hmm. And so I was leaning toward Chipper Jones, but boy, how can you ignore Wade Boggs hitting? So. Yep. To me, if for all 10 years, Wade Boggs has got to be your choice. But if you say, who do I need for a game? It's Chipper Jones. Well, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, you know what? I, I mean, it, you, can't, you can't go wrong either way. But I'll tell you what. And if you're talking defense, yeah. um, you know, if you look. And I don't, I'm not a big fan of these, these, uh, the, the new defensive metrics. But if you, if you look at, they have this stat called defensive war. Mm-hmm. If you look at that, those two guys are almost dead even. Really? Really? Yeah, huh. Chipper Jones. Chipper Jones is n- not that much better of a defender at all. Hmm. Matter of fact, for his career, Chipper Jones's defensive WAR uh, is not impressive at all. It's it's minus zero point nine. Oh really? Oh yeah, that's yeah. Not, that's not yeah. impressive. <laughs> Wade Boggs's defensive WAR for his career is thirteen point nine. Right. But, so, so in the decade, their numbers were very similar. But for a career, Wade Boggs was a was a better defender. Well, Eric, and, I have to give you a shout out. There's one player that you love that retired in 1993 at third base. Don't think I don't think I didn't consider, but he was a DH at that point. Of his yeah, career. he was. Yeah, right. And we're talking George Brett, of course. But if we ever get around to the best starting lineup of the 80s or of all time, I'm sure Eric will bring up that name just a little bit. It, it, hey, it would be a little different than my 90s lineup, which features zero Royals. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> what does that tell you? Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I don't have a single Tiger on my lineup here. Yeah. And, and you know what? I didn't pick a single Red Sox. Wow. wow. Look at yeah. that. That's strange. Something yeah. must be strange in the world if we decided not to pick any of our old guys. All right, Eric, you're going to go first with shortstop. Um, I, I went with... Cal Ripken, uh, just, I mean, for the obvious, I mean, the guy, you know, the Iron Man, um, he hit for power for, for a shortstop. Um, but boy, I really, really, um, mm-hmm. you know, consider Barry Larkin just because he had, he gets overlooked so much for one, just because he was, he played in the same decade as Cal Ripken, but he was one of the, one of the all time greats. Um, but Cal Ripken gets my vote just because, I mean, he's Cal Ripken. 
I know, I know. And he helped save baseball, right? He uh, really kind of did, yeah. I lived in Baltimore, got to see Cal Ripken play quite a bit, changed my son's diapers out in the outfield. Um, <laughs> that's how much I was a Cal Ripken fan. Uh, when we lived in North Carolina, my son and I flew back up to uh, Baltimore to see him in his last season. Uh, my son remember, remembers it as us almost dying on the interstate because I rented such a small little car trying to get to the stadium. Um, so Cal Rifkin, by far, to me, uh, means a lot in so many different ways. And here's another guy, like we're talking about, who, like Greg Maddox, made the most of his talent all the time. He always had a different hitting stance. And his numbers are so great, and he showed up at the big moments. I struggled a little bit that A-Rod was coming on the scene in the 90s and Jeter was coming on the scene with the 90s. Um, And then my favorite Tiger in those days was Alan Trammell. And we used to be so bummed that when it came to All-Star game, Ripken would always start over Trammell. But Trammell is a decent player as well. But I'm going with Cal Ripken. How about you, Gene? Yeah, three for three. I did the same thing. I went And I actually ranked my top three. And I went, again, based just on on the 90s. I would Cal Ripken, Barry Larkin, and then Omar Vizquel. Ooh. Vizquel's good too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Vizquel, I, I loved him. I love watching Omar Vizquel play. I mean, obviously, offensively, he can't, he couldn't carry the, <laughs> the, gym, the gym bag of these other two guys, but but defensively, he was better than both of them combined. But, uh, yeah, so good. you know, I mean, Barry Larkin was a better uh, hitter for average, but Cal Ripken just did, I mean, he hit for power, and he just was ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, he was great. Um, that will go on to left field, and this could be a little controversial considering <laughs> yeah. uh, some of the there's players. A, there's a certain name. I started there's listing. There. Um, <laughs> well, it's not my turn to start here, so I'm going to uh, turn it over to – oh, it is my turn to start. Excuse me. Um, I'll just name the top three, and all three – or top four for me, and all four are controversial. Barry Bonds, Manny Ramirez, Albert Bell, Ricky Henderson. I mean, left field just draws that strange player out there for some reason. And because I think this was, this was pre-steroids era for Barry Bonds, I'm going to vote for Barry Bonds. Uh, just fast, hit all over the field, left field, right field, for average. Um, very intense player. Um, and when he played for Pittsburgh, I think he was a great player. So I'm going to go with Barry Bonds and left. How about you, Gene? Yeah, I did the same thing. It, it pained me, by the way. Um, <laughs> you know, but again, you're right. I mean, he was starting his career. He was in Pittsburgh. That was when we had the mini Barry Bonds before yes. he uh, he found his way <laughs> like to the helium. Weeds? Yeah, before he found his way to the helium tank and uh, you know, <laughs> and and bulked up. But you know, he that, and that's the thing that bugs me about a guy like that. He was going to be a Hall of Famer. Yes, right. That's without without it. it, you know. So I went with Barry Bonds simply because it was. St- Still early in his career, and he was still small. Uh, second for me was Ricky Henderson, um, and then I had Albert Bell third. Yeah. Eric, what do you think? Yeah, same here. Um, yeah, I kind of <laughs> regrettably uh, picked uh, Barry Bonds. But, I mean, uh, yeah, and that's what's like, uh, like Gene was saying. It's just so frustrating. The guy would have been a Hall of Famer. There's just no reason for him to do um, do the roids. It's, it's really frustrating. I did have Albert Bell second. Um, that's probably just because the Royals played Cleveland so much and he just <laughs> destroyed us yes. um, on a regular basis. Um, and I always 
hated Ricky Henderson's guts, but I mean, the guy was yeah, one of the best. Of but he was time. he was annoying though. He yes. was annoying. He's just a jerk. <laughs> just a jerk. I agree totally. And when you think of those players, all of them are great players, had great moments, and you remember them for different reasons. Um, and Albert Bell, he couldn't keep his. Uh, temper or anger and control. Manny Ramirez always looked like he was like, oh, I could take it or leave it. Ricky Henderson talked in the third, in first person, uh, or third person all the time, like Ricky's going to do this and Ricky's going to do that. Come on. And we know why Barry did the roids. He couldn't stand that Mark McGuire was hitting yep. more home runs than him, right? Isn't that the reason? Right. Yeah, that's pretty be, much. Yeah. That's pretty much it. I all think right. my favorite of story of all those guys, though, is the Albert Bell corked bat thing. <laughs> Oh, you remember? Yeah. <laughs> they, they broke it. They somebody, he got somebody. I don't know if it's him or he got somebody to climb into the uh, uh, like the umpire's office. Yeah, to, like through liber- the heating liberate, duct or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> to liberate the broken cork bat from yeah. the from the office. Uh, he he got a little suspended, suspended a little bit over that one, if I recall. <laughs> that was hilarious. That's one of my all-time favorite baseball stories. It is. I love baseball for stories like that and. The next uh, player, we're going to go to Gene. Who's your best center fielder, if I didn't already know? Yeah, it's, it wasn't close. Uh, <laughs> Ken Griffey Jr., and yeah. there was nobody else. The only two other people I really considered, I considered Kirby Puckett, but he only yep. played he only played five years. Oh, and, really? Yeah, and the other guy that I, I kind of – realized late was another guy was Bernie Williams from the New York, New oh, York yeah, Yankees. Bernie. He played. Yeah. Bernie was the entire decade and he put up some pretty impressive numbers, but I mean, what junior did, uh, is otherworldly, you know, I mean, he hit, he, he hit over 300, he had 382 home runs in the decade, Crazy. 382 home runs and almost 1100 runs batted in, in the decade. Absolutely ridiculous. Do you think the ball was juiced back then more than now? Or how do, how do you compare that? I think the people were juiced in the in the nineties. More the people, yeah, more than and, the ball. Yeah, and I don't think and I don't think Griffey ever used steroids. I mean, if you look yeah. at you know, that's the one thing I loved about Griffey. He's a guy that you could be fairly certain played clean because if you look at his body from day one to the end of his career, I mean, he got a little bulkier when he got older, but don't we all? Yeah. Um, he didn't. There was there was no no time in his career where all of a sudden you went, whoa, what did he eat in the off season? Right. You know, so uh, he just is a guy that I always felt play clean and and a guy that he you know what he he probably could have done more in his career if he hadn't played with reckless abandon the way that he played yeah i mean the way he played caused a lot of his injuries and and you know if he had had pulled up on some balls or things like that you know he could have maybe had even bigger numbers than he did but uh, he was a guy that i just loved the way he played the game yeah he's one of my all-time favorites he just just amazing the defensive stops or the catches he would make when he climbed the back wall were amazing and the way he reached out to kids my son I think maybe Ken Griffey Jr. was his first baseball player that he absolutely loved because the big smile uh, selling the cards and all these things he loved Ken Griffey Jr. and I'm right with you guys I mean there's other guys that played the position but nobody came close all right Eric who's in your right field Oh, my right field, uh, Tony Gwynn. Um, you know, he's, you know, eight batting titles in the 90s and one of the most consistent hitters of all time. A wonderful person and uh, just one of my all-time favorite players. It wasn't it wasn't close. I mean, Sheffield and McGriff were both great uh, players, but uh, uh, to me, 
you know, in the nineties, uh, as far as favorite players go, you got junior and then Tony Gwynn right on his heels for me. I also picked Tony Gwynn. I think the only knock on him was that he didn't hit for power and some people accused him of sloppy, slapping, not sloppy, slapping at the ball more. And I mean, that was his job. He had an 847 on base percentage uh, (laughs) for a career, for a career. I mean, the guy was such a student of the game. I love reading some of the stories where he talked to, you know, I think it was Ted Williams he got to talk to before Ted Williams died about hitting. And just I would love to have been a fly on the wall to hear those two guys talk. Gene, who did you pick? Yeah, same guy. I mean, he hit 344 during the decade. <laughs> Think of from 1990 to 1999, he hit 344 with an OPS of 865. I don't, you know, say what you want about not hitting for power. You don't have to hit home runs to hit for power. He he hit a lot of balls in the gap. He had 330 doubles in the decade, which was, I believe, like fifth most of anybody, including all these guys that were the big home run hitters. So, you know, you don't have to hit it out of the ballpark to be a quote unquote power hitter. You hit it in the gap and get a double or a triple. You're doing you're just as effective. Well, I think with Tony Gwynn, we probably should mention a little bit how sad his life ended. And is it true he got cancer from chewing tobacco, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It was I mean, it, it was it really was sad. I mean, it was one of those things where he, you know, he, he got it. He thought he had beat it. It came back and it was very, very aggressive and, and he did not last very long. It was it was a hell of a way to go out. Yeah. And he had a great job in retirement being a baseball coach, I think, for San Diego State. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect for him. And who wouldn't want to live in San Diego? My goodness. And by the way, if there would if if there was anybody that ever had a voice that did not speak <laughs> athlete, he was the guy. You know, you listen to him talk and you're going, Who is if you didn't if you didn't know who he was, you'd be like who is this guy? He had a very, very high voice, but what an infectious smile and an infectious laugh that he had. That was one of the great things. I always loved watching him get interviewed. Like Patrick Mahomes' voice doesn't match. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it doesn't. True. Not at all. You're right. Yeah, You're right. All right, and then we're going to go now to reliever, and then we'll end up with our bench slash utility slash designated hitter, however you want to take it. And, guys, I've lost track who's starting, so I'll start. Eric, why don't you start with this one? Um, I went with Trevor Hoffman. Um, you know, I, I got to tell you that nobody really jumped out at me mm. um, on on the list um, looking at that relievers. Um, but yeah, he, uh, you know, to me, just a name. I mean, he had 53 saves um, in 98. Um, you know, he's he's just one of those guys that was always there um, throughout the 90s as, as a reliever. I think he's he didn't start until 93, but he was uh, um, just one of those guys. He, he just seemed like he was the 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 reliever of the 90s it, it seemed like to me right he had 601 saves in his career 2.87 ERA and i totaled 220 saves in the 90s gene who was your reliever uh i went with eck Eckersley, uh, of course. Yeah. He said he didn't well, pick yeah. a Boston guy. Uh, he was not a Boston guy when he was playing for Oakland and St. Louis. Oh, back then. oh okay. you know, he was their closer and he had 293 saves in the decade. That was the second most. The only guy who had more, believe it or not, was John Wetland. Really? really? Yeah, John Wetland had two more saves than Eckersley did. He had 900 and, uh, 295. Now, Eckersley uh, retired in 98, so he didn't even play the last year of the decade, and he had 293 saves. 
And, you know, he was he was appearing in World Series. He pitched a lot of high leverage innings, unlike Trevor Hoffman. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, so Eck had the postseason resume as well. Now, Hoffman's had I think Hoffman had 228 saves, mm-hmm. um, but he didn't start till 93. His ERA was better than X. But I just like I was uh, I'm always a huge Dennis Eckersley fan. I'm a huge fan of him now because of his broadcasting career. Uh, with Boston, but I used to just, uh, I mean, that's a guy I grew when I was growing up, he was a starting pitcher for the Red Sox and the Indians mm-hmm. and uh, the way he transformed his career and the way he finished his career. Um, he had a great decade. It was a, a great way to finish. Yeah. I, I should have picked Hector's Lee. That's <laughs> dang it. I that's picked, a, oh well. I picked Hoffman too, if that makes you feel oh, did better. You? Okay. Uh, Eckersley, unfortunately in my mind has one image stuck to it. What's that? Uh, pitching to Gibson, because <laughs> yeah. uh, Kirk Gibson is a, Mich- a Michigan yeah. boy. Started out with the Tigers, played for Michigan State football. Then he went for the money free agency, went to L.A. and the famous scene of him limping up there yeah. and hitting the home run home run off Eckersley and running around pumping his fist. Um, and Eckersley's been so uh, such a great sport about it, uh, unbelievable sport about the whole thing and. I know more recently him and Price didn't get along for a little while because Price was a jerk, but um, <laughs> I agree. Actually, it's a great pick, uh, but I just picked Trevor Hoffman just because of the statistics and stuff. And uh, Rivera wasn't on the scene yet. And once yeah. you get to the 2000s, I think Rivera is like a no-brainer. But we yeah, there yeah. I looked, at, I looked at his stats, and yeah, he didn't really become become himself until the the 2000s for sure yeah you know and i i almost threw your kansas city guys a bone uh when i was looking at this too as well eric uh, uh jeff montgomery montgomery was really really good he, he, he was, actually uh, had he actually had the fourth most saves in the 1990s he only had uh, he had 285 saves that's just 10 fewer than wetland who had the most so montgomery yeah. actually was was way more i mean i always remember him as being good but the one thing that he had trouble with is his era was a little bit high he he gave up some some big hits but yeah. uh, but he yeah, managed he, to save an awful lot of games. He did. He would keep your blood pressure pretty high. Well, yeah. <laughs> he, it's like one of those guys you had to put somebody on base. Yeah. Pack a tums yeah. kind of reliever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but he was uh, he's and he's he's on the Royals uh, pre and post game now. He's uh, yeah he's yeah. terrific. He's still a Kansas City guy and yeah I actually met he he came through on a, I was this was way way back in the nineties. Um, I was on the radio uh, my first job out of college. And we were a royal station. They came through on a, a junket, and I got to spend a little time with him. Just super nice guy. Mm. You know, a couple couple other guys we didn't talk. You know, a couple other relievers that were really good that I that I looked at. John Franco. Yes, John Franco. Franco. Franco had the six most number of saves during the decade. And uh, and another guy. Remember Tom Hankey? From the uh, yeah, yeah. from Twins, the right? Toronto Blue yeah no the or, Toronto Blue Jays. Toronto? Okay. Yeah, the Blue Jays, and I think he finished with St. Louis, but he only pitched the first five years but in those first five years uh, he was incredible he had like uh, 189 saves in five years he had an era of only 2.49 in that time uh he was really really good but uh, i didn't he didn't make my top three simply because he only pitched for five years in the decade mm-hmm. so a reliever that wasn't a reliever in the 90s but would be later on is john smoltz and yes that was one of the most amazing transformations I think I've ever seen, and I love hearing him doing commentary for Fox. And so uh, it's interesting if John Smoltz had started off as a reliever, where would he be on our list right now? Is the question. 
way up there. I think he would. I think yeah. he could, could have excelled yeah. there. Well, it could be, and you know, but but his transformation was the same as Dennis Eckersley. You know, when you think about it, I mean, Eck was uh, the one thing that John Smoltz has over Eckersley is Smoltz went from the rotation to the bullpen and then back to the rotation at the end of his career. He was starting again towards the end of his career. So really? he was a guy that, that made that transition twice. But Eckersley was the same thing. His career was just about over. And if it weren't for Tony La Russa and Dave Duncan, uh, Dennis Eckersley's career would have been a lot shorter if they hadn't turned him into a reliever. Mm-hmm. Well, we're coming to our player off the bench here, our utility player. And I looked at it like old school. Like what player would I want to be on the bench for pinch hitting or playing different positions on the field? And so I'll just start with mine. I'm going to pick Paul Molitor uh, for the Mm -hmm. Brewers. He was a career 306 hitter. He played first base, second base, third base in his career. But during the 90s, he was mostly a DHer, and that's okay. Um, but he was a great player, and he'd kill our Tigers all the time. Uh, great baseball mind. Uh, had some great years. Um, I thought about Tony Phillips. I even thought about Andres Galarraga because he was pretty important for some of those Braves game, uh, teams in the 90s. Gene, who did you pick for this? Well, see, you went with a guy that was a DH, and I actually picked a DH. I didn't. My utility guys were guys that I consider utility guys, and I picked Tony Phillips. Ah, uh, I mean, Tony Phillips played every position in the decade except for catcher. Right. I mean, and, you know, still, you know, hit, you know, mid two seventies. He's a guy that could come off the bench, get some big hits for you. He could play anywhere on the field. So the two guys I actually came up with for utility players, it was him. And the other guy was BJ Surhoff. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Remember him? BJ played again. He's another one of those guys that played everywhere, including catcher. Um, Matter of fact, he started his career as a catcher. Um, so, uh, those were the two guys I came up with. I actually picked some DHs and I like, for instance, when you don't talk, when you talk utility player, you know, I don't think of Molitor cause he was a DH then same thing. Edgar Martinez was a designated hitter in the 1990s. It was one of the best hitters in the American league. And he doesn't kind of fit in here because he couldn't get, you know, his, he had the range of a postage stamp. So they weren't, <laughs> gonna, they weren't playing him in the field. Chili Davis was another guy yeah. that was a great hitter, but you know, at that point, point of his career he didn't have you know he couldn't get he couldn't do it defensively so i i actually had a dh category so i went with true true utility players and that's why i picked tony phillips which i thought would be good because i was throwing the detroit tigers bone sucking up to the host thank you thank you the only (laughs) thing about phillips is that he couldn't stick with a team it seemed like for very long i didn't one i wondered if he had problems in the clubhouse well i just no i think you know i think the thing is is guys like that are valuable and teams undervalue guys like that sometimes so you know they'll go to make a trade or something and they'll say hey how about throwing in tony phillips so like oh yeah okay no problem you know because they don't <laughs> think much of he played for seven different teams in the 90s i know seven i know that was you know? crazy but i don't think that's a knock on him i just think that i think that players i think actually utility players are more valued now mm. than they were then with all the the uh the the adjustments we make on on uh, shifts and you know righty lefty matchups and all this stuff. I think utility guys are more valued now than they ever have been in the history of baseball. Strong statement, Eric. Who'd you come with with bench utility? Um, so I I just went with the DH I, and I went with Edgar Martinez. I mean the guy I was just a beast yeah. in the mm-hmm. bat in the uh, in the nineties. Um, you know he hit three fifty six in ninety five, three forty three in ninety two, and he was over three hundred. Most years, there's a couple years 
uh, where he didn't play much. Um, but the, uh, the years where he was active, he just mashed the ball. Yeah. He had, and he had, he had three twenty two in a decade. Jeez, that's crazy. Yes. Yeah. Very nice. Well, there you go, folks. We've gone through a whole starting lineup and given our, but we haven't talked about manager. We haven't talked about our favorite stadiums. We haven't talked about our favorite memories, but I will ask you guys, um, who did you meet in the nineties? And Gene has met more than a few. Um, if you met one of these players, what can you share any stories of at a ballpark or meeting one of these players? I'll start with Gene. Well, I, you know, I, one of the guys we talked about a lot of what I, I did a lot of work in the minor leagues and I got a chance to meet a lot of guys when they were coming down to the minor leagues to do rehab starts. You actually learn a lot about the character of guys when they come down to do, to do minor league, minor league rehabs, because a lot of them will come down and they'll just kind of big league it and like do their two at bats and leave. There's two guys that were unbelievable to me, uh, not to me, but to the fans when they came down to do minor league rehabs. One of them was Roger Clemens, and the other was David Cohn, a guy that we mentioned in the starting pitchers. These were guys that came down, they did their, their, you know, pitched their two, three, four innings, whatever it was going to be. Then they literally stayed the rest of the day and signed autographs for everybody who wanted them. Nice. Uh, David Cohn was there, and I, I'm not kidding, guys. He was there for four hours after the game was over signing autographs. Roger Clemens was there for two hours after the game signing autographs for any kid or any fan that wanted it. So, you know, that's where, I mean, I, I've probably, I've met probably 100 Major League Baseball players. Those two guys, simply because of what they did when they were there, uh, are guys that, that have my admiration because they – knew what the game was about. It was about the kids. It was about the fans and mm. they did the right thing. And, and so I always, always remember that. Mm. Nice. David Cohn. David Cohn's a bit of a burr in our saddle in Kansas city. <laughs> well, yeah, under, understood <laughs> the worst, perhaps the worst trade of all time. Kansas yeah. city boy. He went to Rockhurst high school. The Royals trade him for Ed Hearn, who I think, Oh, I remember him. Yeah. 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 What do you yeah. last about a season after that? Yeah, he like blew out his knee. Yeah, and that was that was it. <laughs> we got Cone came back towards the end of his career, but yeah, just it's like why of all people to trade, the local hometown boy who was a hot prospect, and you know went on to win what at least two Cy Youngs, I think. And anyway, I'm still bitter about it. Yeah, I can't, I, I, can't, we, I can't talk we, anymore. We can't tell, you know, and the one other, one other story I have, and I have this simply because I worked uh, at Fenway Park for a number of years and I got to meet Dennis Eckersley more than once. If there is a more humble person about what he did in his career, uh, I, I don't know who it is. It, you know, this is a guy that, you know, pitched in World Series, pitched in All-Star Games, you know, pitched a no-hitter. And yet he is as self-effacing and humble a person as I has ever met. And he's funnier than hell. But, but uh, again, you know, it, it, I, I consider myself lucky to have had the chance to meet a lot of these guys. And when you find out some of them are, are, are really as nice as you would like them to be, it's really great because I've had the opposite experiences. I think we've talked about that here. When I met my childhood hero, Carl Yastrzemski, I was crushed, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, it's, you know, and when I met Reggie Jackson, he was as big a jerk as I wanted him to be, which was great. <laughs> you know, but but every now and then you, you you meet some of these guys and they are everything you wanted them to be, which is you know something that I treasure. Yeah. 
Well, you can get a lot more baseball talk from Gene from sportscountry.net, and you might be listening right now to his radio station. Um, Gene, do you have an email that people can email you about uh, your sportscountryradio.net or just if they have baseball questions? Yeah, they can. Yeah, it's Gene at sportscountry.net. It's it's pretty simple. That's, uh, that's Gene at sportscountry.net. And through yeah, right now through the, uh, the through the pandemic, um, I'm only doing my morning show on Fridays now, because otherwise I'm going to talk about the coronavirus for two hours and nobody wants that. I don't want that. So uh, yeah, so you know, my wife was begging me to stop. So <laughs> I so now what we're doing is we're going to do a show. We do a show every Friday um, from eight to ten a.m. Eastern time, and uh, I hope you'll tune in. And as I said, if you've, if you've got any questions or you want to call me an idiot, feel free. It's Gene at SportsCountry.net. And my email is gobluearnold at gmail.com, a big Michigan fan here. And we're considering doing other master classes like this. That's what I'm calling them. Not that we're a master of everything baseball, but we like talking baseball. And if you want to hear more of these, email me or Gene, and we'll do our best to continue this. And so, guys, I appreciate your time today putting this all together. Uh, I made these guys do more homework, and, man, they really rose to the occasion. And... uh, Hope you guys have a good rest of the day. And for Paul Arnold, uh, we're signing off. Have a great night. And remember, baseball has to come back someday.